right, welcome back to Sloyd Cast. I'm your host, Mark Angelini, and I'm joined today with Mike, aka 60K Sloyd Hanna. He's rocking the Sloyd visor. And we are speaking today with Yoav uh, El Kayam. I don't know if I did that right, but um, I think I'm close. Yeah, that's pretty good. And uh, he is joining us from the UK. We had a little bit of a hiccup because um, I was trying to communicate in 24-hour time, and that's not my native time, and I messed up. <laughs> and it was two hours off, and Mike's been busting my balls because that's like his native time <laughs> telling. So at any rate, we're here, and uh, we're excited to have him on the show and uh, hear what's going on for him and his life. So Yoav, can you tell us where you live and give us a little rundown of kind of what your life's like and uh yeah how craft fits into your life uh, well I, at the minute i'm uh i'm based in west uh southwest midlands in the in the uk so herefordshire county um and it's pretty random really i don't know how you know just uh ended up here in uh, a weird uh, chain of circumstances um, hmm. and uh, and yeah I found myself living here with my partner and now uh, a little daughter for the last two and a half years full time like really declared <laughs> that we're living here hmm. uh, before that uh, before that we we lived in in our van for a couple of years and then I was living in the van alone before I met Chris my partner um and oh, just wow. going around really and yeah just a, a nice chain of events led me to this place that now we call uh, mm. our home awesome. uh, yeah yeah nice I see pictures I, of the van that's pretty nice of the van yeah that's a good good couple of years in that luton box is what uh what is it a uh a volkswagen uh, it was a Mercedes Sprinter with a big, uh, Luton, okay. they call it Luton box here in the UK. I don't know what's, huh. uh, it's like, it's like a similar to a horse box, but just a smaller, smaller setting, I guess. Nice. Um, yeah. So now I live in, uh, in Brookhouse Woods, which is, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I looked at books from Mike Abbott and, you know, seeing this places in in various occasions on the internet, looking at some, you know, and a bit of green woodworking information that was on the web. And suddenly I found myself, you know, living in this place that I was looking at. And uh, yeah, just really lucky. That's awesome. Now, yeah. I remember um, when I first learned about you was back on the, Back on the Facebook uh, green woodworking and spoon carving group, and um, I remember there's a video you had someone had made of you, and you were living in a yurt, and I think it was uh, it was in Israel. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think yeah, you're referring to a, a movie that a friend of mine uh, was filming as he was entering the film industry in China. Yeah, a portfolio made, oh, and, wow. he off and he offered to do like a little, a little couple of minutes film on me and I said yes and yeah it was in Israel uh, I guess that was what eight years ago maybe seven or eight years ago um, mm. 
and I yeah I think living that year is is really the beginning of of my greenwood walking days. Uh, mm. So so building and making that yurt with uh, with help from some friends uh, was really what introduced me to a shave horse and you know taking care of yourself in a sense. So making something sure, that yeah. is that is useful and that is uh, needed. Uh, and I think that's that that was the the beginning of it, really, like creating a shelter and realizing that I can make things with my hands to support my needs uh, in a, in a in a really fun way uh, was what made me think, oh, if you know if I made this year, maybe I can make a a bowl and a spoon uh, <laughs> to to go in that year in the kitchen. and you know in in some senses, I'm still trying to make that bowl and spoon and you know, it's all uh, huh. a continuation from realizing that we we can make, or you know, if if we give ourselves the chance, we can make the stuff that we that we need around us. So we can choose what stuff we can make. We don't need to make everything. Yeah, but... yeah, absolutely. So how did how did you get to that point? What what were you doing before that? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's all. Yeah, I, I don't know how how much back I should go, but, you know, sort of uh, if I'll run quickly through not really fitting yeah. in school, not really fitting in school um, and always being outside with friends, uh, knowing that, mm. you know, you know, this isn't what life is about or this isn't what is important. <laughs> um, and then after that, it's, it's, you know, when I was uh, 18 and finished school without my graduation, uh, and I was still happy and doing things that I love. Uh, deciding not to join the army in Israel, which is uh, mandatory. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, and you know that's like three years where you're between 18 and 21 when you need to essentially serve the country for uh, for uh, something that I don't believe in or I don't stand behind. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, being like hmm. bounced between, you know, parents and other other people in the community around me or that, you know, some knew me very well and some didn't know me at all and saying, ah, you know, you're going to block yourself from doing things in life if you don't join the army, if you don't finish school, if you don't go to university. Right. Uh, and right. me just, in a way, trying to prove them wrong. <laughs> Uh, but also, you know, <laughs> in that, I, I, obviously I didn't choose all these choices just to prove them wrong, but I, I felt like sure. uh, there's another way uh, that I can mm. explore. Um, so, yeah, not joining the army and then sort of taking music uh, more seriously and trying to meet other people. I was a, a full-time musician sort of starting around 21 or 22, uh, playing mm. with the bands and busking in the streets, uh, trying to figure out how, you know, how you can go about doing the thing you love and making a living out of it. And on the way, just, right. just meeting really, really amazing people, you know, once you, you sort of go towards a different direction that your your heart is sort of leading you to. I think you meet the right people and they sort of guide you to the next door 
or open up the next door and and one thing led to another and you know playing music for a living means that you either need to be really good and you know get the best gigs where you know in israel there's loads of really good musicians and there's not loads of stuff to you know to to get the money in really because if if the place is packed with really good people doing one thing then you know the market is saturated and it's quite hard making a living so the other option was uh just not needing a lot of money to to sustain myself uh, mm-hmm. And and that's how yeah I, I lived in a VW T3 for a bit, and then uh, built built that yurt and had very little overheads like just no rent, just paid water mm-hmm. and worked a day a week for rent for the landowner that I uh, lived on his uh, property. Mm. Uh, and that's then, amazing. Yeah, and through music I, I was touring with a band in in the UK. Uh, every summer, and then, and one uh, sort of, I built a year while exploring a bit of green woodworking videos and you know whatever. I think the, that uh, Facebook group was one dominant thing, and then uh, realized, uh, yeah, uh, had to uh, sort of heard about Robin Woods and saw his videos, and very mm-hmm. <laughs> Sort of, uh, you know, sent him an email having been, you know, never turned anything in my life. Sent him an email asking if he needs an apprentice. Very uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, I'm, I can definitely do this. Uh, and he replied very kindly that he, he doesn't take apprentices, but I should uh, go and maybe take a course with uh, Sharif Adams. Uh, oh, nice. And then... So nice. the next time I was touring in the UK, so the pre, uh, that was all in Israel. And then the summer after that, I came to the UK again and uh, got in touch with Sharif and also met Robin in Glastonbury, where we played with my band. Mm. Uh, and sort of, yeah, everything sort of connected and I met him in person and said hello. Uh, and then got in touch with Sharif and did a, a two-day course with him all while sort of playing music so sort of wood turning and carving was like a, a hobby in between playing music hmm. um and then what uh what, what type of band were you in uh i was playing with a, a band called the, the turbans in the uk uh so they we played like middle eastern sort of uh Klezmer, Romanian-inspired madness, mm. really. A lot of uh, Greek nice. and Bulgarian mixed in. Yeah, for a wild That's festival. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. What what instrument did you play? I was playing uh, percussions. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, I was playing like a drum set all my teenage years. And then when I started traveling, I, I realized I need a, a smaller uh, more instrument to travel with. So I started playing uh, cajon and uh, dakbuka and frame oh, drums, nice. various like tambourines and frame drums. Sweet. That's yeah, awesome, it's good. Really, really fun years, but I'm really happy to be fun. sort of not touring with seven guys in a van telling me, <laughs> you know, when I need to do sound check and, you know, 
it's really fun, but I, I don't think it's a, I can sustain it for more years than I did. So yeah, it yeah, was yeah. sort of every year I was doing a bit more sort of carving alone in the quiet in the woods somewhere and a bit less madness mm. in festivals. And until, you know, until uh, three years ago, I did like a bit of recording with uh, with a band and that's it. And, you know, I just met up for a couple of days, had had a good good session and good fun and sort of did, didn't do any gigs since and uh, doing just craft full time. So that's, uh, yeah, awesome. I don't know if I don't know if that was short or long, but that's the, the run. That's through. great. I, I, <laughs> I really think that the genesis of everyone's craft journey is really interesting i know it's interesting to me because there's a lot of overlap in the way you got into it as in terms of how i got into it um so i know that's that's definitely like something that i think is really relatable and also just interesting for people to know you know what what brought you to this this thing so you you took a class from uh sharif and then you're gonna say you uh you went to spoon fest and yeah. it seems like spoon fest is kind of for a lot of people in that region a really important place to expand your mind about the the craft of spoon carving and all the different people and the culture and all that. Yeah, <laughs> it's the gateway drug. The gateway, definitely. I mean, you know, it was so. I went to the. I think my first spoon fest was the second spoon fest, if I'm correct. So that was like 2013, maybe, or 2014. Something, something, or maybe somebody will correct me, but yeah, the 13 or 14 was my first spoon fest where, you know, I came with a bag of spoons I made in Israel thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to swap and sell and, and, you know, being a bit shy, but knowing that I have a bag full of spoons that I want to sort of show around. And even back then when uh-huh. the, I think the, the level was not, the bar wasn't as high as it is today. Um, right. It was I. I didn't take that bag out of my uh, my tent, <laughs> uh, and I was <laughs> I, I was just blown away by <laughs> you know coming from a place where I never seen really a, a carved spoon, a well made carved spoon in person before, just on the internet, and then suddenly seeing you know people like uh, I met uh, Jane Micklebrough and uh, obviously mm. Barn and Robin. And Jojo and uh, Jan Ham and you know a few a few people I you know considered you know the best in their field back then. Um, yeah. And suddenly, yeah, just being blown away by the, uh, the amount of things that I can learn just about a single wooden spoon. Uh, it was really fascinating. Uh, and then meeting just loads of really lovely people and continuing my traveling through the connections that I made in Spoonfest. So after Spoonfest, I I got in touch with uh, Amy Leek uh, that offered to mm. host me for like a week in her place because I was just with a backpack and a, in a tent back then. Um, so wow. I stayed a week with her, just carving and, and chatting with her and her family uh, in Hastings. And then with a, another two weeks with uh, Adam Hawker, that kindly invited me as well to just stay with him. Um, and then uh, wow. a day a day or two with uh, Lee Stoffer. 
and then right. another week or two with Sharif, you know, just starting to realize all these people are just <laughs> amazing. amazing and so open-hearted and open doors. And mm -hmm. it just was like, yeah, just a dream of going around amazing craftspeople and learning a few tricks from everyone in China improve on on my own my own journey that's um, awesome so that, you know that that's what one of the cool things i've found too is uh just the times i've gone to uh different events where there's a lot of spoon carvers or different people involved in the green woodworking craft it, just the the level of character is like it's just amazing how generous and kind and uh fun to be around these people tend to be um yeah. And even people that I also, also what I find too, is that like we do a small gathering here, we're trying to do it once or twice a year. And there's a lot of folks that come that have very little experience, but I think just even gathering around this idea of, you know, handcraft and green woodworking and so on, there's something about that too, that just brings out like this, um, conviviality and like, just, uh, I don't know, it just makes a nice atmosphere where people feel more relaxed and um you know connecting to the wood and there's like a meditative aspect to it so it's yeah. really cool how that all ties together yeah i think i mean you know i think you can you can find that in any sort of like-minded uh people gathering you know gathering together you it's something so it brings out the best out of people i think you know so it, you know if it's mm -hmm. music or i don't know brewing or foraging or or, or sure. wood, wood carving, or I think if you, yeah, if you're in a, in a in a space with people that love or have passion to the same thing, I think it just brings out such a will to, such, yeah, a willingness to to share everything and to sort of see each other growing and improving on on that specific thing. And I think you know, I'm not saying that the green woodworking community isn't a isn't a special thing but i think there's a yeah there's something magical in i think in everything you choose to do in life uh if you find the right people you know to hang around sure, with it yeah. and do it yeah the flow that flow state or vibe yeah so um you how did you you've been traveling around you lived in your van what was it that brought you to, uh, um, I forget the exact name, is it Brookhouse Woods? Brookhouse Woods, yeah. Or uh, more correctly, yeah. it's Brookhouse Farm, and Brookhouse Woods is, uh, is situated in on on this uh, bigger farm. Okay. Um, and that's, um, that's where Mike Abbott was doing his work, right? Yeah, that's his last, uh, that was his last workshop uh place before he he moved uh he built a small workshop in his garden uh three okay four or five years ago then he, he sort of does cool. smaller courses in his garden which is just down the road mm. uh, from here mm. um what got me here so i met uh so i was staying mainly while i was playing with a band i was uh, like in between festivals we were staying in in london in a tiny apartment <laughs> a tiny flat all of us uh and i went to i think i can't remember if i did like a, a craft fair uh 
and through that craft fair, I realized that there's the Greenwood Guild uh, in London. And then through the Greenwood Guild, I met uh, Will Sinclair, William Sinclair. Um, and Will uh, was a really, really dear friend and a great uh, Greenwood worker himself. Uh, took over this place from Mike. So he got the opportunity, him and his partner got the opportunity to uh, move to this farm and create a, sort of a glamping business and run Mike's mm-hmm. own workshop as a woodworking, uh, uh, you know, just to continue the, the beauty of the woodworking uh, aspect of this place as well. Right. Um, and he sort of really, I think, I don't know if he was, if he knew what's what's to come, but he sort of said, ah, yeah, you can, you know, maybe we can, you know, join forces and you can come over and do some courses and run a few courses together. And because he was mainly spoon carving and doing some chair making. Um, whereas I was uh, just starting to get more and more into bowl turning. So uh, we said, yeah, let's, let's just do a course together and see how it goes. And we did a week of, uh, building a lathe and uh, turning bowls. So he was sort of leading the build a lathe part. And I was uh, then taking over and doing the bowl turning part. Uh, And that went really, the first one wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a great success, but it was, there was something (laughs) there that that clicked between me and Will. Uh, And I sort of, you know, stayed for, instead of staying just for a week or two, I ended up staying for a month and then kept on traveling and then came back to the following year and sort of asked if I can stay for another month or two and uh, just, you know, every year stayed for a bit longer <laughs> and now I'm living here. Uh, <laughs> wow, uh, and we, nice. we both both have, you know, families and uh, and it's all really courtesy of, you know, Will and Penny inviting me but actually the farm is owned by uh by by a different family that is really open-hearted and open hands and they're just Mm. you know giving us complete uh trust in what's going up in the woods and they're busy you know with the other side of the farm with the apple ciders and uh, cider apples and hops hops and you know other agriculture related farming whereas we are just uh Will and Penny are, you know, taking care of the glamping business and me and Will are up uh, doing the woodworking courses. Cool. Sort of in, in complete wow, that sounds uh, awesome. freedom. Yeah. It's really. That's really cool. Really, really lucky. And um, I've gotten the sense that you guys live off grid. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, so me, me and my partner uh, live uh, up in the woods off grid. Um, just in, 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 a, in a tiny cabin, really a tiny cabin that is, uh, as we speak is getting a tiny bit bigger. Uh, so I'm busy, <laughs> busy adding a, a little room now in the winter. Yeah. I did see some pictures of, uh, some joinery. Yeah. I wouldn't, don't call it joinery. <laughs> some round some yeah, round wood framing a, it looks a bit like. of a bit of round wood uh, framing but i'm uh yeah i'm holding a impact driver <laughs> and a circular saw the whole time just oh, yeah. like banging things together if, if, if i had <laughs> I, the I know patience, how it goes <laughs> if i had the patience uh to build 
you know, to do round wood timber framing as I do with the uh, hollowing up and grain cups, I'd be a, a much better timber framer. <laughs> I just don't. Hey, maybe, no. maybe in a couple you, you of years, you... I'll have the capacity. Yeah, you, you can't do everything at once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, very nice. So, um, to me, uh, I mean, is, you carve. I feel like you car you turn a lot more than you carve spoons these days. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I mean, these days I don't do. Uh, like if we're talking about the the last uh, month or two, I sort of took a break completely just because I think it's a good time of the year, you know, just getting away from the Christmas madness and just taking a, yeah. a bit of a step a step back and rethinking what I want to do and what sort of yeah, just an opportunity that I took uh, because we had to do this build, just a, a chance to get away a, a minute from from social media and from the craft and, you know, mm -hmm. rethink. Uh, but generally in the last, yeah, I think as, as I've seen, you know, more and more amazing spoon covers appear, uh, mm -hmm. it just like, ah, just turn. <laughs> it seems, you know, I, <laughs> I think I was really keen on spoon carving when I was uh, traveling a lot and, you know, yeah. not, not setting up a lathe and, just being able to, you know, the magic that you hear people say, but isn't necessarily very accurate. You just need three tools kind of thing. Uh, just need three, but I've got 30. I don't know why. <laughs> um, uh, so I think, you know, for many, many years, I just had three and I was carving a lot of spoons because it was really... Uh, it just suited the way I was I was living, uh, and being mm -hmm. you know up here more more you know in one place with a with a beautiful workshop uh, with more access to wood, with more time you know to experiment maybe with more time to realize what there's or an opportunity to understand there's demands for certain things and there's less demand for other things, mm. uh, sort of uh, right. cop carved my way into turning no pun mm. <laughs> <laughs> i like that <laughs> it just cool, seems, it seems, you know, yeah i really enjoy it and also it seems like there was a gap in the market there that suited you know it sort of answered all things it's something that i enjoy doing not many people were doing it yet uh and it was you know i managed to, to sell my stuff so you know it's like a right a no-brainer, really. Whereas if I carve spoons, yeah, yeah. Uh, I sell them occasionally, I think, because I don't make a lot of them. Yeah. Maybe there's a, something, you know, if you, if you don't create a lot of one thing, then maybe when you do make them, uh, there's more people interested in them. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, there's, it's just amazing to see, like, what happened in, you know, in the eight or ten years that I've been looking on spoons online it's just incredible mm. to see the the quality and the amount of people that are, are making spoons you know not necessarily yeah, for a full-time living but selling and for a right for a good reason selling them <laughs> yeah 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 we talk about that a lot um just how it's crazy how like just looking at Instagram, for example, there's just so many spoons. It's like, holy crap. And they're all very high level. Um, 
and yeah it's just it is pretty wild yeah. so i find i think that's really interesting how you kind of narrowed in to what was more of a marketable um object that you were already skilled at making and just sort of you know pick your niche and just hone in on that i think that's there's something about that that's really um empowering i'd say and i find it kind of interesting when people just like there's two categories to just carving artistic like oh i want to put type or like here's a spoon i can use every day and like watch it age beautifully and it's really hard to differentiate between the customer that's going to buy that spoon that they can use every day. And, like, I almost have to encourage them, like, you know, you can use this. Take it with you. Use it for every meal. You could. But some are just really afraid to. They're like, oh, it's a gift. Or oh, I just want to put it up on the wall. Or I'll just stick yeah. it in a drawer and just look at it every now and then. So I think there's two subsets to people buying spoons and what they're actually looking at. Yeah, and I think, it's, you, know, you know, it's a common, uh, I think it's it's a topic that many people are, worried about at the minute i'm you know i don't really care what people do with the stuff that they buy from me it's more about knowing you know more about selling it and then believing that each one to his own uh yeah I, it's a funny one though like, it's like ah, you can use it why don't you use it i worked so hard for you to you know enjoy <laughs> putting that in your mouth and so well what? it's his mouth Whatever he wants to say. I'm not. I think there's a lot of reasons why people are attracted to one thing or another. And, uh, you know, we're all just trying to, to some degree, just do the thing that we love to do and then make, somehow make a living from it or, or a part-time living from it or whatever. So I think, yeah, narrowing it down to something that felt good to be making and also was proving to be uh, providing sales and orders was was sort of uh, what I, I was doing in the last really only a year or two. So before that, I was really relying on, on teaching as the main income of, uh, of the mm-hmm. year. And then came sort of, you know, COVID, and I had to mm-hmm. quickly rethink before the season of teaching, you know, started mm-hmm. or was about to start where I was, you know, thinking that I'm going to get this this much money this year just from, from the teaching right. slots I had. And suddenly, uh, you know, I it completely it was a, a kick, in, kick in the ass, really, and a really good one, like thinking, <laughs> right, what do people need at the minute? What can mm-hmm. I offer that will you know, be beneficial for somebody else and provide an income for, for myself and my family. And yeah. again, I don't need a lot of money, so that's a really good starting point. Uh, but we yeah, do, we do need a, a consistent, you know, income. So that's when, you know, I started offering spoon blanks and started offering more hook tools and, mm. you know, end grain cups, uh, like pre-ordered. So whoever wanted a cup, Unlike the year before where, you know, I, I sort of offered every once in a while when I felt like making one, suddenly I was just putting an option yeah. on my website and whoever wanted one could just order. And it, and I think the combination of all these things were, were really eye-opening that, you know, it's not always about making exactly what I want to be making. It's also a compromise yeah. between that and what, is actually going to provide sales and money and 
the yeah, be, I think be beneficial for others is is uh, another key ingredient there. Mm. That's um, awesome. I feel like we could do. I feel like that's a whole topic unto itself, yeah, like yeah, the whole yeah. aspect of of making a living from craft. Um, you know, like talking to Joga last time, he has a whole unique process that he's been working on for thirty plus years. He's had a lot of time to kind of figure out what works for him. And then, you know, other people have different approaches. But I think that's a really fascinating dynamic of being a, a maker, especially if it's not your hobby. It's one thing if it's a hobby, because then you can do whatever you want and there's mm -hmm. really not a consequence, except for you might spend a lot of money on tools um, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the business aspect is definitely really fascinating. It's a topic that I think about a lot um, as well. And it feels like, yeah, I mean, you... I would say of all the people I know of, you're a very good example of someone that seems to be doing a, a, a very great job of, you know, at least from what I see on Instagram, um, it seems like you're, it's working for you. Like you're having the sales, you're, you're making the things that are selling and uh, seems like it's working for you. Mm, thanks. Well, well, you know, yeah, I guess first I'll say that things from Instagram sometimes seem very different, you know, looking at other people, you, right. know, like, you know, you could, you always see, you know, what I choose to show. Um, but, sure. uh, but yeah, I think this year went really, that being said, this year went, went well because I think I was much more open to be flexible, which uh, before that I was like, no, you know, I'm making spoons because I want people to use them. This is what I'm <laughs> making and you're going to buy it and you're going to use it. And, this is the price and you know it worked to some degree um but i didn't have the flexibility and uh yeah i'm, uh, I'm missing a word here but yeah I, I think i wasn't open enough to offer things that maybe mm. i don't necessarily want to be making all the time but people actually mm -hmm. would buy um and yeah and yeah, I think, you know, uh, seeing, you know, following you on, in, on Instagram and seeing what you've been doing, I think doing something like a, a weekly special or, you know, that's really, it's something that not loads of people are doing maybe, and that can create a certain rhythm of, it doesn't need to be loads of sales, but if you, if you have a consistent traffic if you're making something and selling it and making another thing and selling it then there's it sort of drives you forward you know you're not making 50 mm -hmm. 50 spoons and then having 49 of them in your drawer and waiting to be you know tagged and shipped. um yeah but yeah each, you <laughs> um, know i think each each person and each each one gets to you know that stage where he needs to make you know, make decisions and and choose his own path. And that you know, some people say, okay, so maybe I won't make it my full time uh, living and you know just enjoy what I want to do. But some people, mm -hmm. you know, go for it in a different way. And uh, I think being flexible is is the key. Or being you know somebody like Yogi, when you know with many years on the in the scene and. You know, he can take probably commissions. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't listen to the episode, but, but I imagine that he'll he'll have a completely different uh, way of uh, making a living from from the things he likes doing. But, yeah, you know, no, it's it's, it's, it's very different from anything I've heard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I want to go back to something you said too when you when we first talked started talking about how you're making a living from it is 
you said you don't need much money, but you do need a steady flow. And that just reminded me of when I first, because I had a similar story to you. I didn't go to college. I didn't, I mean, I did, but I left to pursue other things. And the whole time, you know, people were lecturing me that, you know, you're not gonna be able to do this or that. And I got all these stories. But I read this book. Someone recommended I read this book. It's called Your Money or Your Life. And it's an awesome book. It was written back in the, I think it was written in the, it was either late 80s or early 90s. And the premise of it is you literally, you literally calculate how much time you have left to live. <laughs> and then you figure out based on that guesstimate of how much time, I mean, it's like based on the average, you know, life expectancy of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a cool exercise. And then you figure out, based on that time, like you break it down to like days, hours, weeks, and so on. It gives you a perspective. Like I'm not going to live that long. Do I want to be doing this that whole time? Or do I want to be doing that this whole time? Mm-hmm. And then you build from there a real, a real um, uh, expectation of what you actually need to achieve that thing that you want yeah. to spend, you know, the time you want to fill that time with. And um, I don't know. I, I just feel like that's a really interesting perspective to come at this from instead of like you know i need to make x amount like i have to i have to you build this life where you have to have this and that and you know and you have this huge influx of income every year because you have built this yeah just know, just to do the just to pay, pay the basic things you already need to work you know half of your time right yeah yeah it's a, it's so that whole perspective interesting perspective i guess it's yeah that's one way of looking at it. i think i came from the complete opposite but you know looking on the same thing but looking at it from the different side where you know what do i just speaking about the today uh in some respects mm-hmm. and i think you know eight eight or ten years ago it was more about the today and to and, you know these days it's a bit more looking forward as well so looking you know yeah for sure. a couple of years ahead rather than just to be in the moment but when i made I don't think I made a decision you know, in one day and that, that was it. Like, yeah, deciding, okay, I'm not going to do this shitty job anymore. I'm going to do what I like. I think it was just a really, in a way, like a relaxed pace of living in life that every day I was just walking calmly and relaxed and happy. And I think, you know, I just wanted the next day to be similar. Uh, rather than starting awesome. from the end of when I'm going to die and walk backwards. Uh, <laughs> which is, you know, it's, I think that title of the book is, sounds like a, a good read, so I think I'll, I'll look it up anyway. But, yeah, I think it's the same, sort of same, different side of the same coin, if you, if you want. Yeah, for sure. There's a, um, in the realm I work the most in, which is uh, in the kind of regenerative sustainable agricultural field, there's a system called holistic management and um, it's what a lot of ranchers and farmers use it to help them build the type of farm system they want. And one of them, this is really cool um, philosophy that comes out of that. And it's the idea of the uh, quality of life. So instead of like, you know, my farm or whatever, my business needs to earn this much. And I want to have, you know, I want to make blue cups and I want to make, you know, cherry spoons. Mm-hmm. You've, you more kind of build it around. What do you actually want your, the quality of your life to be like? And then you work backwards from there. Like, okay, mm-hmm. well, if I do this, it's going to change my quality of life away from what I actually want. But if I do this other thing, it'll take me closer to the quality of life I actually want. 
So that's another really cool way that I've come at a lot of this too, is like um, trying to balance out the different things that I am interested in so that every day I'm hopefully striving more towards that quality of life mm. and not, you know, unconsciously drifting away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where I am, where I'm at in the, yeah, at the moment, you know, taking this break, uh, that sort of answers a few of our, of my needs mm. and my family, like just stopping, not turning, not taking commissions, not worrying about Christmas mm-hmm. sales and, you know, made enough money, God. enough money in the last few months to like, just take a step back from everything. Uh, and yeah. yeah, think what, what is it that I, I want to, how my yeah, how my life, not in the next 20 years, but in the next year, maybe or two, I think is yeah. more reasonable for me to look ahead and just think, how do I want my next year or two to look like in in the sense of what I want to do, what I want to offer, how will I get money, mm-hmm. you know, just plain plain and simple, really, and then yeah, and then work towards that rather than just keeping the loop of you know fluted cups and you know I'm not saying I won't make fluted cups and paint them blue, but uh, it's it's just taking that step back and choosing again rather than being stuck in 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 something that maybe you know, doesn't make me happy anymore or maybe right. isn't proving to be selling as well as it did a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. And it's all, it's all questions that, you know, I'm, I'm open for any, any answers that will come uh, from observing and just being, you know, a bit patient with uh, my next step, really. Um, so yeah, maybe next awesome. year we'll look we'll look exactly the same in, in the sense of what I'm making, but maybe you know maybe it'll be a, a, a small shift or, or a big one. And yeah, it's just great, you know, being able to take that perspective and take that uh, moment to look at these things can only come from if you're not in debt or if you're not worried about yeah. you know paying. Uh, a uh, uh, loan that you you took five years ago, and I think all these mm-hmm. things are just connected, aren't they? Like, it's you can't separate these these things, and I think you know just being aware of them is is a is a, an art of itself, <laughs> it's a craft. I agree. Oh yeah, I think I think it's really admirable to be content with what you have. That way of thinking, especially for someone who earns a living doing what they love to do with their hands. Being pressured by all the things that we have in modern society and convenience, being able to be content, you know, that word and just being happy with what you have is so hard. It's like, it is really an art to achieve, especially nowadays. So I, I think what you're doing is really admirable. And for anybody who does, you know, earns a living doing a craft, making a living. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, again, it's, it's bringing it back to to the reality, you know, what reality do you do you create around you, or do you are you a part mm-hmm. of? Maybe not necessarily creating, but taking part of. And for me, it was really clear that if if it was music or craft or it, you know the, my next uh, <laughs> next choice of of uh, of mm-hmm. a career, it has to be first to the first question is 
how am I going to keep on living the way I want while doing this thing? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how can I shape my life to fit uh, this thing that I want to do? So it goes both ways, I think. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was really clear. I need not to pay rent or I need to, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm rich in time but or in money. So, you know, I can give yeah. this time doing doing something with my hands or with the community around. Uh, but I don't want to be, you know, committed to paying a certain amount of money every month because I know that's going to be restricting what my time is filled with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike and I can relate to that. Uh, yeah. yeah sentiment. I think, uh, I think <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. following, following with, uh, with rent, <laughs> with rent and, <laughs> and uh, mortgages and, all the things, the car payments, the the car insurance. Yeah, Mike works job. a full time job, so he's got that, you know, schedule and um it's 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 interesting how there's so many different factors, but you know, everyone's got their different path and um you just kinda work with what you have and uh, trying to build what you you know, like you said, trying to build what it is that makes you feel a certain way or gives you that life you're you want. Yeah. And I think, yeah, not comp- it's, that's what's really difficult, I think, these days with all the you know, social media and just looking up anything you want, uh, you know, both in the sense of inspiration, but that can also lead to, you know, comparing yourself and being, yeah. you know, depressed from seeing somebody that does something that you think you want to do, but, you know. Maybe if you you were in the same position, maybe you wouldn't think the same. So it's like fantasizing because you're we're yeah. you're so exposed to all these uh, you know stories uh, you know that we only see in a really uh, in one dimension. Uh, but yeah, taking a step back and thinking about the whole, and then making a decision based on that can can lead, I think, to a, to happier lives you know somebody can come in to the woods in in august when it's all green and there's no mud and the sun is out and it's like oh god you're living the life i'd love to sit here and carve a spoon and you know and and that's i i agree but if he'd come today and hear you know all the mud underneath my boots and freeze you know if the wood burner isn't on and you know there's a different type of work that goes into it (laughs) and you know you need to choose if you like going out and splitting kindlings or (laughs) if you like sitting you know in your i don't know in your office and uh, being uh, just really nice and comfortable and and both are valid but yeah i think it's really tricky like seeing glimpses of life of other people and, and thinking, yeah, that that's the thing you want to do. And then being really confused and like, ah, oh, why do I not do it? And just like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's a tough, tough, uh, yes. it's a beautiful and a privileged time to be alive. And also it's a very confusing one, I think. Yeah. Actually, Mike and I were having this conversation before we um, got on the call and we were kind of talking about Instagram and just how they're, you know, it's like a double-edged sword because it is so powerful in a way as to, in terms of like the audience it can give you, um, the types of things you can explore. I mean, all the people I've quote unquote met through Facebook or Instagram has been really cool. Like I, I wouldn't, 
I probably wouldn't have grown as much as a craftsperson without it. Um, But then there's like the dark side of it, which is the jealousy or the, uh, the FOMO or the, um, the doubt, or like you said, I I think fantasization is a really good way to look at it. It's like, we see this, you know, I see this picture of your, I'm looking at your Instagram right now, actually. Uh, This picture of your steaming, your steaming hot cup of coffee and your 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 Yurishi cup, and I'm like, oh man, why can't I be sitting there in my whatever my cabin, you know, drinking my coffee? There's a Um, massive, massive, massive split in busting over everything I don't have. (laughs) No, no, it's not. I don't think think there's a split in that cup. My wife and I. we uh between us and a couple of our our farming friends um we joke about uh farm tears and it's a part of it's a part of farming if you're on instagram that you never see because you always see like the pretty whatever the you know the beautiful vegetables or the the pretty animals out grazing but you don't see the dead animal or like the seeds that didn't germinate or when the rabbit ate all of your crops or because you know it's not as um it doesn't sell as well as yeah. as yeah. the the beautiful imagery so it is an interesting right. um interesting tool with you know a lot of upsides and and a lot of potential downsides yeah and i think it's all you know it's all a, mm. to how you know it's our responsibility we are the ones creating that platform really you know us the the it's not yeah. instagram it's whoever's using um and i think you know, yeah, we're exactly. all I, i'm taking responsibility on you know i'm not posting a lot i think i you know the, in times when i'm trying to be you know selling or filling a bit more i'm trying to post like once a day uh yeah. uh but i don't think that's considered yeah. a lot these days and definitely you know i don't think somebody will take a break a month break uh because i think it's bad for the algorithm um so i think i'm responsible yeah. also and you know i have one post a day to sort of let people see something that they might want to be to take apart, you know, to not take apart, but to, yeah, yeah to take a part of me to their life. Um, so, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not posting necessarily mm. muddy boots every day or, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll choose, I'll choose the nicest thing right. that I, I made that day. And I think we're all responsible in some way to, to that feeling but I, yeah, it's it's hard one because I'm I think I'm not really I'm not as sensitive. I know it from you know my partner Chris. She doesn't have Instagram because she, without having Instagram, she can feel that if she was looking on stuff online uh, to get inspiration, she'd get the uh, complete opposite. She'd be you know yeah. unins- uninspired and Discouraged. feeling like she mm. can't do anything as beautiful as she just yeah. saw. Um, and that's why she doesn't have Instagram, and that's you oh, know yeah. it's a really valid choice. Whereas I I don't feel as sensitive to those things, so you know I try and spend right. up to an hour a day mm. on social media, and you know it doesn't do me very much harm. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know there's people on all right. on all of that spectrum really. So you know I get most. Yeah. mostly benefits from from the my online pref, uh, presence and others just seeing mm-hmm. beautiful things but you know it's really important to remember that there's people that are much more sensitive to you know 
seeing only beautiful cups and not seeing any splits. It's like, ah, oh, <laughs> I can't believe all his cups never split. I said, well, there's yeah. loads of splits, but it won't tell us good. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to write about it. And then people that are really interested, you know, if they read my description, they'll they'll know that I never, that I do fail and do other things. But, you know, the picture, I yeah. think, needs to be one that is appealing and, yeah, I think I can take, I can definitely take responsibility on, uh, you know, maybe I need to share some, some other things as well. Well, yeah, just a tricky one. And it's something that, you know, how much time of your day do you want to waste on, on on social media and on thinking about social media and what right. to post and how. Um, so so the, I, I put a limit on it and just try and, you know, make the best out of it while restricting awesome. my, my time on it. That's wise. Yeah, it's such a powerful marketing tool. Why not use it? But at the same time, you know, you really have to, have to manage your time on it well and what you do on there and what you share. And like you said, it's so inspirational for some and at the same yeah, time yeah. can be very discouraging to others. I, they just become very overwhelmed with the amount of uh, nice things they see on there. They're like, oh, That's I, why can, I, I can't do this. Food. Why bother? <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you make a lot of really amazing, beautiful uh, bowls and cups and... and uh, pots and locking lid boxes. You kind of, it seems like in terms of turning, especially from like the pole lathe end, uh, Ness, that you've really kind of mastered all the different, um, I don't know, the different products that can be turned. Uh, I don't know, maybe that's not like a full way to say that, but you've, you've got, you really have mastered a breadth of different things. I mean, I've, I've been following you for a while and, um, yeah, I've always been amazed by your level of skill and, uh, form and, um, it's definitely just gotten better and better over time. Um, and your cups especially have been just really incredible. Just seeing, I was just joking earlier. I was like, he's the, 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 uh, the king of thin, like just, just the, the, uh, yeah, just the degree of what you can make these really beautiful, uh, you know, thin. I imagine they're very lightweight and, um, tactile, um, right. They're also very like they're very streamlined. The lines flow very nicely in there. They're very uniform. Like you know, just looking at a picture of a cup. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah. I'll start with saying that I I think, uh, uh, yeah, I'm far from mastering anything. But yeah, definitely, definitely <laughs> had quite a few years now being more and more focused on a couple of things. Um, so you know, I I don't think I'm making a, a huge range of stuff. Um, and, you know, yeah. I played around with the locking lid boxes and stuff like that, but I haven't really made uh -huh. enough to, to master those in, in specifically. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, cups and end grain, um, I think, are, yeah, something that I've been doing a lot in the last couple of years. And, yeah, it re it's really nice seeing that, uh, you know, looking on my own work and seeing a certain development and evolution and, you know, looking at stuff from a year ago and not mm. saying, ah, oh, this is complete shit, uh, which is a nice change <laughs> for me. 
because it hasn't been like that, <laughs> you know, until this point. Yeah. Um, not to say that I, you know, I think they're perfect, but you know, there's, it's nice to, yeah, do two or three things uh, in enough quantity to to feel like I know what I'm doing uh, and I can improve more. But yeah, I'm in a place where I'm comfortable and and can just turn them one after another. Uh, until yeah. my leg, until my leg hurts, really. Um, <laughs> did and uh, did the cups? Yeah, it's, I, I think you know. Uh, I I want to just just add that I think it's mainly, uh, or I don't know, mainly, but a big part of it is you know meeting Jared and spending time with him, and meeting uh, Natty is a is a really good friend that I try and meet at least once or twice mm. a year and Sharif and awesome. you know just people that became you know people that I admired eight years ago that suddenly became really close friends and I think that's that's mm. when you know you you I know that I'm you know I I played my cards right you know if somebody that you really admired <laughs> suddenly you know is your friend and you spend time with him and you're having you know right. exchanging tips and Swapping cups, then you know it's like ah, I, I did a few things okay, <laughs> uh, and I think yeah, <laughs> awesome. the, this exchange of time and and tips and uh, just being around people that are doing really beautiful things uh, is really what sort of pushed my game. I think, uh, mm. uh, and I don't think you can separate. You know, others people, other people's journeys in in your own. Uh, you know, we're all so much feeding each other, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's beautiful to see. You know how how far just turning and turning and grain in particularly went up in in just like what five years, maybe. Yeah, like yep. uh, I think it was only Jared, and then suddenly, yep. you know, five years later, it's like. Well, I mean, only Jared, not you know, in the in the green woodworking community, at least. Obviously, there was a lot of yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, a little uh, narrow uh, <laughs> slice of life. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. But yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's nice. So it's, it sounds like the the cups kind of was was getting so much into cups really driven by demand. Was that? you kind of saw that they're selling, there's a market for them. So why not just focus on those a little more? Uh, Yeah, I think that's, it's sort of, yeah, it was, it's really, once I understood the sort of the way of the, the way of making them. So like turning end grain and hollowing where you're not cursing every half a minute uh, and just (laughs) producing loads of dust, uh, it started being really enjoyable. Uh, and very different to what I was doing all those years before turning. So, you know, uh-huh. very different to turning bowls and side grain. And suddenly it's like, wow, this is completely opened up a new world of friction fit parts and, mm-hmm. you know, really thin walled uh, cups and, you know, experimenting with something that is new. Um, and then at the same time, just seeing that there's not many other people doing it uh, sort of, yeah, the combination of those two things made me just keep on 
doing these and the fluted beakers seem to be quite popular mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah it's it's a really silly thing to do from wood really so uh, <laughs> so then uh, <laughs> i like the way you put that uh Rusi came into the into the into my right, uh, yeah, yeah. my table a few a few months ago as well and trying to solve like loads of problems with the cups because mm. you know my right uh, yeah I, we... I, i've got cups in, in my kitchen that are completely split but they they don't drip you know they yeah. they have a massive crack in the bottom but they still hold liquids and they're they're all fine to use but you know if you're selling something for 30 40 50 pounds uh, mm-hmm. I don't think many people will appreciate a big crack in the bottom after a year or two no. of use. Um, so I'm tr- really trying to, you know, uh, just trying to refine the my the quality of products a bit long term for you know for the mm-hmm. sake of people spending you know uh, hard earned money and uh, trying to give something that is a bit longer lasting maybe yeah now how, <clears throat> how thin are you turning like is it a i assume it's a, a taper so it's thinner at the lip and yeah. tapers wider thicker thicker down to the base yeah really yeah quite a, it's a quite a mellow taper so it's not okay. not really thick in, on the base um oh, okay but yeah i'm just i don't know i'm just playing around with how thin I can make them without it uh, <laughs> being being really silly. Uh, That's so, awesome. Yeah, I, like and, every, and... every once in a while, I'll turn the thinnest cup that I can possibly turn, <laughs> and then walk up from there, and uh, you know, find that sweet spot again and again and again, uh, and it keeps like running away and coming back, and it's a. <laughs> I don't know. It's the beauty of making something. No? I think it's similar with you carving spoons, and you know, you catch a feature that you really like, uh-huh. and then the next spoon is all out again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Just that. What um, chase? Yeah. What are some of the things in turning all these cups? What are a couple things you've learned, like in terms of like tools or the wood, or just the the design that have really kind of helped you up your game yeah tools and wood and uh, design <laughs> <laughs> all of it all of it all of um all of i think the, the main one and the first yeah. one that sort of uh, gave the, the biggest leap was just having a two two days with jared and then seeing his mm. his tools um and just seeing him yeah you know, I before he came over here and did a did a did a few days with me and a couple of other uh, other folks. I just saw a video of him and he was like in the in the base in like three minutes, and I'm like, what am I doing <laughs> wrong? Because I'm just producing dust and it takes me an hour. Um, and, and then yeah, meeting him in person and then just seeing how he walks and it's like right, this can be really quick and efficient. Really, it doesn't need to be uh, uh, just a scraping all the way down. Uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. seeing the tools and then forging them myself and obviously doing them a bit different and then learning mm-hmm. to use them a bit different. Um, 
was the the first thing. So, you know, I always say that, you know, my tools work really well for me, but they might work really right. differently for somebody else that might think that they're shit. Um, and that's yeah. great. I think that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> I want people to, <laughs> you know, get some tools, try them, right. get along with them to some degree, but then realize that they actually need to make their own because you know we all yeah. stand differently and our lathe is in a different height and we use different wood and mm-hmm. you know we chase different designs um yeah so that comes back to you know your question where you know that those tools sort of created a certain design that was working well um mm. and then the wood just you know I, I, whatever uh, I always keep you know I work with one type of wood and I think it's great and then I move to the next log and it's something else and it's like oh this is great as well um, so I think you know there's there's a few species that I think I wouldn't do end grain cups with anymore um, but generally mm. you know I think it's a lot to do with thickness of base and um yeah i think at least the, from the species that are around here like um, sycamore or maple in in america and mm-hmm. cherry and uh, all the uh that's the three main ones that i i've got access to and use and these they all seem to work really well uh, and then you get mm. you know the occasional Nice. split or crack because you know I dry them super quickly in the house above the wood yeah. burner and oh, and wow. just being a bit a bit impatient at, at sometimes. What um besides the Yurishi, what what do you finish the un Yurishi'd cups with? What type of oil are, are you using? Uh, well, I tried tried all of them. They're all a bit nasty in the end like they all either leave you know a really uh really strong taste or you know yeah color them so i tried really mm. every every option that i knew of so it was linseed for many years and then uh yeah. moved moved uh to tongue and walnut and um at the minute i'm using uh tongue but mm-hmm. it's uh with a solvent so it's it's much thinner yeah so i do really thin layers yeah. and then let it sit for either in the sun uh which comes like maybe twice a year or three times a year here uh oh <laughs> a bit more time uh, in a dry uh hot uh room our Skype call dropped off, so we had to call you back in. Right before I cut out, I was going to say, I've been using, I think, do you use the real milk paint one? Uh, I was using the real milk it, paint, yeah. The, the half Because I've been, yeah, I've been using that, and I've been actually very pleased with it. I um, do, I've been just doing one coat and then put it in the, we got a warming oven on our wood stove, uh-huh. and I leave it overnight, and it, it cures pretty much 100% overnight at that temperature. It's probably like 150 degrees Fahrenheit. 
200 degrees Fahrenheit, maybe somewhere in there. I don't know Fahrenheit, um, but that sounds hot. Yeah. <laughs> 60 Celsius. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Something. Yeah, I got Divide by 3.2 <laughs> and add 78. Oh, oh God. Good luck with that. <laughs> I can't even do 24 hour time. Come on. <laughs> That's yeah, why we're in 24 hours. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the uh, the I, I think at some point we're gonna do a whole episode where we like ask a bunch of people about finishing oils because oh, yeah. it's a really deep topic, and I haven't found the perfect thing. And this is when we were talking to Jared, and he was like, "This is why I started using the Yurishi is because yeah. it is proven." by thousands of years of use that it works like it's a hundred percent i mean a hundred percent but very high yeah. rate yeah. of success um, i know so is that is the is the dissatisfaction with oils what kind of made you think hmm maybe i should try this urishi thing yeah I'm sure it's not crazy yeah yeah definitely yeah. i think i think you know i'm not in it at least not uh, at the minute because of its uh you know beautiful art and tradition that comes from applying the the many layers and getting a really glossy or you know mm -hmm. all the variants in the in the ways of finishing with urushi is is all a world of you know for its own and, and demand you know skills and learning and i'm in it just because it solves all the problems that i've been meeting in, right. in the last few years with with oils um and you know it presents different problems but um uh, but yeah it definitely definitely answers the things that I was looking for. So, you know, it's, I think if anybody, you know, with a critical eye or even not from Japan or seeing how I do things, he would probably be like, oh, God, is that <laughs> what? <laughs> is this why we have the internet? Is this why we ship things abroad? <laughs> Just so somebody can apply a wishy like that. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, <laughs> it, it answers uh, exactly what I was uh, looking for. So you know, without yeah, yeah hopefully not not taking any uh, of the with all due respect to to the craft of applying Rushi and and I've seen you know videos mm -hmm. and and just wooden wear that look absolutely amazing. But it's not I'm not uh, yeah. I'm not in it for that at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Truthfully, I don't like anything painted, or anything that <laughs> mm. actually changes the the grain, you know, at all. For some reason, I mean, I like how oils, you know, allow the colors to be a little more saturated. Yeah. But I just don't like how Yurishi just makes everything dark. Like yeah. I like the light textured colors to wood. Um, I don't even like milk paint, you know, from a consumer and also like a maker. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, this is very opinionated, but I just, hey, yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't buy it. Bring it. I wouldn't buy it. Say it, say it loud. <laughs> I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> well, I, Ever. I'm go, not, to, go Tom Cruise on I'm him. not selling. <laughs> so we all <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's really nice to see how, you know, you make something and there's always going to be somebody that's going to love it and somebody that's going to hate it. And that's uh, the beauty of it, really. Yeah. I, mean, I see... I mean, I see the functionality of it. Like, I mean, yes, you want something that's going to allow the product to last as long as it can last, you yeah. know, um, with, with regular use, right? So that's like, that's the, I think that's the advantage to using like a good oil or a, a urishi or whatnot. But I think I like the artistic look to wood. If I want something I know I'm going to use every day, yeah, I might go with something with like 
no, that's got your wishy on it. But if I want something to put up on the shelf and just look at it every day, <laughs> just keep it raw. Yeah, just keep it raw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I yeah. I sort of agree. So uh, you know, in, from from the looks of it, I'd I'd rather have uh, have it not completely black uh, from Urushi, and that's yeah. why I'm trying to treat only the inside. And then a little, yeah. Yeah, just, I like how you did that. That just, is cool. Man. Just that a little cool. uh, secret. Any anything that I did the outside of is just because I had a bit of urushi on the outside touching it or something, and I just covered it. <laughs> <laughs> so once you know, once nice. there's a tiny spot, you just need to do the whole thing. So uh, yeah. I think, yeah, right. my my vision is just solving the problem and and coating mm. the inside and then leaving the outside bare. Mm. Nice. Um, nice. But yeah, mm. I'm still. That's, that's I, really I, cool. See, like I would buy that. That's really neat. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're looking it. at. We're looking. We're scrolling through your website pictures as we're talking here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now a really discount nice to any Sloyd cast listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now use for... this code. <laughs> Get two percent off. <laughs> I don't think there's anything on sale at the minute, which is uh, a welcome change. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Um, as far as tools, I've also got a picture of some of your tools up here from Instagram. Oh, yeah. And um, <clears throat> you've got these. Uh, so when we were talking to Maddie, he was like, I just use a straight hook when I'm doing uh, right. end grain stuff. I guess, yeah, I guess he does He does some end grain. Um, but you've got these. Uh, these are the ones I saw Jared had when, when I went to uh, class with Robin Wood and Jared was teaching as well. Um, and he had these cranked ones where the tip is the tip of the hook is angled yeah it's um, called the politician mark it's called the politician i mean uh, yes, i think it's crooked I think, uh, sharif uh, named it the politician because it's bent and crooked oh really <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> i like that dang uh and the I other know. one is yeah. uh i think i don't i can't remember who gave it the name but it's the either the plunging one or the lightning ah yeah ah <laughs> nice Nice. The lightning, dang. <laughs> nice. um, so that's the, so do, the, are those, the I'm looking at, yeah, the picture I'm looking at here, it's got just a regular straight um, hook, and then it's got the politician and the uh, the lightning. <laughs> are those the three hooks that you use in the cut Wait, process? Well, you need to say the lightning. You can't just say the lightning. <laughs> the lightning. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, those are like that's the that's the set that I, I'll be using. Okay, I might have right. so uh, yeah, I, because I I make quite uh, a lot of tools for sale and for courses and stuff. Uh, I always have uh, mm -hmm. a couple just hanging around, and then if there's one that really does something a bit different or suddenly works uh, in a different angle or cuts really sweetly, then I, uh, I'll generally, I'll keep it. Uh, so I have, let's say, four politicians and two, uh -huh. two lightnings, uh, and then I'll use one of them. I'll be, very, at the minute, I have... Yeah, I sort of, once you become, once you know how to make your tools, you sort of have the privilege of being really specific. Yeah. Um, yep. So Absolutely. I'm sort of at the minute, the opposite of Matty. So Matty's a wizard and he does everything with just one tool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a wizard. <laughs> uh, whereas I, I, I have one tool that I only do the finishing pass with because it just cuts super mm, sweetly. Yeah. So I don't want to be sharpening it yeah. loads and waste, yeah. sort of change the angle of it Absolutely. and change the shape of it. Um, 
so mm-hmm. I keep that just and just hone it uh, and just do the mm-hmm. final pass and get a really nice finish. And then I have another tool that is, you know, I messed up the forging a bit and it came up in an, in an animal that does the base mm-hmm. really sweetly. Uh, but it doesn't do the mm-hmm. walls of the of the cup really nice. So I'll use only that for the mm-hmm. base. And then there's another tool that right. I'll hog all the material with because it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, that's the one that takes all the abuse because it's not really nice. So yeah, it's sort of a yeah, it's yeah, it's a funny it's a funny one because uh, because then somebody yeah. asks you know for a set of end grain tools and you sell you know one of each. Uh, and actually, <laughs> there's a compromise there. You know, there's a. I always yeah. tell people, you know, use those two tools as much as you can. Just push them to the limits until you right. really feel that you know them and you're using them in every single way and every direction and every spot on the cup that you can. And once you feel that mm. is starting to limit you, then you need actually you need four. <laughs> uh, and mm-hmm, each right, yeah. one needs to yeah. be a bit different, and you you really want to make them your own. So, right, yeah, it's yeah. Good. I think I think the idea of having sorry, go ahead, you. No, no, I'm I, I finished. I'm just I I don't have. Anything. I was gonna say the idea, yeah, the idea of having one tool that could do everything for you as a new maker, I think is somewhat appealing. It's like okay, if you haven't if you haven't been able to forge your own hooks, and if you don't have a setup, you know, to blacksmith. And forge your own hooks. The idea of buying one tool or maybe two tools that can do everything for you, you know, is very appealing, you know, and it's cost effective. Yeah. But for someone who's really getting into making things and selling them and wants a consistent product and who has the ability to, you know, to start forging their own hooks, having a set of hooks with each hook being designed to do something very specific. Mm-hmm. I think is very nice. You yeah, know? and I think that's a bit more advanced for someone who is just starting off, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, me and Mark, we got together recently. We were forging some hooks, and and I had a friend come over. I met on Instagram. He wanted to learn how to make some hooks, and he brought one of your hooks over. And I really liked the way you forge your hooks. I got to you know look at it and hold it, and oh. we're gonna try to use it, but we didn't have time to do that. But we tried replicating uh, your hook and. Um, you know, I played around with making hooks now for quite some time. When I got turning, I bought some hooks from, um, from Adrian Lloyd and I used them to the limit. I mean, I was, fi- you know, I was literally sharpening them with, with chainsaw files. I mean, that's, <laughs> I got to that point of just <laughs> what, like using hoping? and abusing them. And I was like, you know, I'm sorry. I'm honing with chainsaw files. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, you do, you do the same? No, no. Uh, sometimes. Uh. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I still do. I never change my way of honing. I just, yeah. Anyways, I do, I use chainsaw files. I only do that just to take out the burr on the inside, but primarily the backside, I, I keep flat. Yeah. So, and we're talking a little technical here when it comes to, you know, for our listeners who don't know much about um, forging hook tools, but I think it's, it's neat to know how you, how you go through your process. I want to hear like, you know, all the technical aspects of what kind of steel you're using, you know, if you're, you're hand forging, I'm guessing everything, and then you're 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 uh, hardening, and then um, and tempering your tools as well. Wow. So, like, if you can just kind of give us a, a quick breakdown of you know the technical aspects of how you make your hooks. Yeah, I'm not. Listeners. I'm... And you're also using. Yeah, sorry. sorry go ahead. Yeah. I was gonna say you're also using like a Robert Sorby um, belt grinder yep. to put bevels on your on your hook tools, right? 
Um, so I'm I'm happy happy to lay it all down. I will say that uh, a few in late September, where Nick Westerman came down here and we met uh, him and just a couple of us. Uh, Matty was here and Sharif was here, uh, and mm. who else was here? Maybe Amy. A couple, uh, yeah, a couple of ball turners, um, and. Yeah, Nick came and sort of wanted to see what we're doing and then offer some ways of improving things. Uh, so I will yeah, say nice. that it's a really bad time for me to lay down what I'm been, I've been doing because uh, apparently <laughs> I can do things much better. <laughs> uh, oh, right, right. Um, yeah. But yeah, okay. I, it, we did test a few, a few tools and actually mine were, were holding up really, really well. But yeah, Nick was very clear that... Uh, with a few slight changes, hmm. it can be can be even better, uh, but it just means getting awesome. getting a different setup of equipment and you know just investing a bit more money and a bit more attention to hmm. something that actually I don't want to be a toolmaker, I want to turn balls. Right. Um, but yeah. yeah, I'm happy yeah, right. happy to lay it down anyway because if it's if it's useful for you or for somebody, then then that's that's good enough really. So I use uh, yeah. uh, at the minute I use uh, spring steel, which is uh, EN forty seven here in England. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if uh, if it's similar numbers and grades. Um, I don't know. And then I use a fifteen millimeter bar. So a bit thicker than what I was using until uh, last year. Um, so that's okay. like, uh, I think, an inch and a quarter. Uh, no, what is it? Half inch. 50, half, uh, I think it's three. It's more than half an inch. Cause, uh, so slightly smaller than half inch. I don't know. It's a, it's 15 mil anyway. <laughs> you can ask Matty. Right. He loves these, these <laughs> kind of things. Uh, <laughs> And I forge it flat, uh, so create la a long taper mm -hmm. um, into a really quite a thin point. Um, so maybe up to like two mil in the end. And then mm -hmm. I take it to the sorby and um, just soften all the edges and create the top view if you'd like so looking at it you know flat mm, yeah. and just create a nice uh, rounded side on the side that isn't going to be the bevel so just breaking the sharp corners and then putting it yeah. side sideways uh, creating the the bevel starting with like a 36 grit belt um, which is a revelation because I used to use like the 60 for the rough grinding and then realized there's 36 mm. as well. It's like, oh my God, this is <laughs> double the, yeah. the force. Um, and, then, <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then doing it, I, I used uh, the, Nick has like a jig or maybe it's a hewn and hone jig for hook tools which I used okay. for, for a bit, but actually I'm quicker without it. So I dropped it, um, hmm. just right. putting it in the jig and setting everything up and having, it's just, it doesn't make sense in the way I work at the minute. Um, mm -hmm. so I just do it freehand creating a, like a bevel. I aim for around, you know, something between 22 and 30, which is quite a big range, but I think it all works somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, right. 
so I do I grind I grind that uh, bevel in a rough grid and then go all the way up to 400 um, okay. leaving a tiny bit of uh, so not a full cutting edge but just really close to it just leaving the slightest bit of material I can on the edge if that makes sense yeah mm. So creating a really flat bevel, almost up to to a cutting point, uh, but mm. then putting it back in the forge, uh, heating it up uh, not too hot, so it doesn't burn burn the mm -hmm. not the carbon and not the the bevel, and then put a twist right. put a twist on it uh, or the, the snake head or question mark or whatever you call it the tip. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then I'll take it out from the forge. So this, this is what I did before, and it, uh, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna change it slightly, but I don't want to say you know how I will do it. I'm saying how I am doing it. Uh, so take it out right. and then uh, heat it up again, up to cherry red, and then quench it in uh, just vegetable oil. Right. Mm -hmm. And then after that's cool, I will usually like just wipe it with with a towel and take it in the mm -hmm. house. And uh, I used to do to put it in the oven uh, just on, mm -hmm. on 180 degrees. But actually, I, I realized that putting it above a flame is uh, is better because I want that uh, difference in uh, in temper colors. Uh, and I don't want right, to make right. the whole tool uh, into the same tempering, so I just put right, it yeah. put it above a flame in on a gas cooker until uh, the mm. right on the the cutting edge is uh, is straw, golden straw, uh, and nice. then underneath it it's like you know purpley bluey uh, until it fades mm -hmm. away, and then I'll sharpen it. Uh, and then I'll generally I'll test it, uh, and if it works well and I'm happy with it, it'll be you know either staying with me or or being shipped out really. So that's the that's you know nice. the most straightforward I think way I've this is how I learned and obviously you know just saying it doesn't mean that we're gonna do the same thing if you do follow the, those steps. But <laughs> uh, you know I think right. that's that's the that's a very similar way of making tools for most of us. And then we all have our own little, you know, hit of a hammer or temperature gauging that is slightly different from yeah. each other. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's uh, right. for all the pole turners out there, which are, you know, I think <laughs> out of I don't the mass, the masses, the masses. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know there's more and more interest every day. I've been, you know, I've had a few people reach out to me um, asking about, you know, making hook tools and the process and whatnot. So I think as, you know, the, the pole lathe turning community grows here and abroad, obviously there there's more and more people wanting to learn how to make hook tools. Yeah. So, you know, the process can be can be overwhelming. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot involved 
there's a lot involved. So having having it laid out for you, whether it's on video or whatever, I think can can make things a little more encouraging for for some some people. Yeah, it's amazing how psychologically that is a, a barrier, you know, in in making. You know, for me, forging was like no way I can forge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, I did a day with Sharif and that's, that's it really. I did one day with somebody that yeah. knows a bit more, you know, than me. And that, mm-hmm. that was all I needed. And it's amazing. You know, I think Sharif is, yeah. a, I, should, I think Sharif is a great teacher, but also it's just such a simple thing to do once you have the confident to just do it. And, you know, you don't, you can Absolutely. literally use like a angle grinder and, Yep. Uh, yeah. That's how I learned. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. Um, awesome. So yeah, I think just giving people a, that's why I teach I teach I encourage people to come on a, just a day or even half a day and it's like oh, just see how simple it is and then you can just make your own mm-hmm. make your own tools. Absolutely. Yeah, seeing it is a lot it's very helpful because it is a lot of, there's a lot of mental blockages yeah. that are easy to overcome once you see it's like oh it's really that easy (laughs) um that's awesome well um we've been talking a while i don't want to i don't want to keep you up too long but i do have a couple more questions for you yeah yeah, Um, i'm I'm, I'm easy so so recently you and uh several other folks have kind of followed in jared's uh footsteps and gotten into the japanese uh lathes can you tell us a little bit about that process? Kind of, um, yeah, sort of what stimulated that shift, and then how it's going, and what your what are your ideas are about it? Mm, yeah. Um, so I was like on the. I think I I saw Jared doing it, and then it seemed it was the first time I've seen somebody turning. You know, I'm 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 following a few power lathe turners. And generally, you know, out of the thousands that are out there, you know, I follow maybe two or three that are really, I don't know, attracted to their stuff. So I think I always had a feeling Uh that generally wood turning or power lathe turning is is just not producing very beautiful things. It's always highly polished Mm -hmm. or, you know, generally speaking, I don't I don't want to be obviously. Um, But I've just never been attracted to it because I've. Yeah. yeah, just didn't see beautiful things being made on it, um, mm-hmm. or wasn't exposed to beautiful things being made of it. And then seeing sort of Jared taking taking, you know, the same principles that I've been using on the lathe and taking that to an electric lathe was quite uh, mind blowing because you know suddenly somebody that makes mm. really beautiful things and uses the same tools that I use, um, sort of, yeah, it sort of made a moment you know it's sort of oh Mm -hmm. so you know you can't just the fact that it's spinning much faster doesn't mean that you can't create beautiful delicate things with it um right so i think mainly yeah just seeing the sort of hook tools and the fact that you can still make your tools and you know maybe sit down and be a bit more relaxed have give your body a bit Mm -hmm. of a, a different uh, position than standing on one leg especially with end grain like yeah. turning i don't know if you ever tried like turning two three four five five yet. cups of you know in a row it's just a really bad uh, posture really bad position because you need to sort of oh, bend right, over yeah. and 
uh, and sort of lean really far. You know, you want to see on the same line of the center, essentially. So you're sort of leaning yeah, right yeah. above it. And yeah, I just feel I'm not there yet, uh, but I can see how if I just keep on doing that, uh, my body will be, you know, signaling me sooner or later uh, mm. that it's not sustainable. Uh, so, you know, I think it's yeah, just yeah. being in a quite a, uh, a, pos- a good position where I'm not, I didn't have any problems yet, but I can sense yeah. that there's something that needs to be thought about. Uh, yeah. um, so I think, yeah, just just seemed like a, a nice way of uh, playing around with different different ways of creating the same things, really. And then Owen Thomas, yeah. uh, which li- lives uh, like half an hour from here, uh, kindly mm-hmm. opened up his uh, workshop door, and me and Sharif and Matty went there and just had a had a bit of a play and look on mm-hmm. his lathe, and it just felt so surprisingly familiar. Uh, mm-hmm. Turning, you know, just ten, five ten minutes, but it just felt really nice and you know similar to turning on a on a, on a pole lathe, really. Uh, obviously, with much nice. more to go wrong. Uh, if it, if it does, but you know, I think right. I think if you have five, six, eight years experience, or maybe you know, years isn't the right per- parameter. Maybe you need to say, you know, if you've got a couple of hundred bowls under your belt, then I don't think you're in yeah. a, you know, if you know how to use hook tools, then then I think it's going to be okay. Um, mm-hmm. And but yeah. I just just thought I'll build one and see how it how it goes, and then I built one and stopped turning. Nice. <laughs> so I, yeah, I just played around, played around, turned a few cups, a few bowls, uh, and then just took a step back. So that was just a couple, you know, two months ago, really. And then uh, mm-hmm. I sort of closed the closed the workshop bit uh, until we finished uh, finished uh, our build on the house. And uh, mm-hmm. I'll come back to it, you know, in a couple of weeks and see how it feels just being playing around without any pressure of commissions or and see where nice. see where it takes me. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Really interesting. You know, I think it's funny how five years ago, if you would ask me, I would say like, no way, only polyth only green yeah. green yeah. wood and i think it's it's uh it's really uh refreshing to be in a completely different state of mind and uh and to realize that you know it's always the people that enter a new sort of a scene or craft and i was you know as i was a couple of years ago like being really dogmatic and like really <laughs> You know, I only do this, and if I do something else, then it's not the same thing, and it's not right. And <laughs> you know, just being a bit more open and mature, and I, I think you know, maybe somebody will tell tell me off, but I think like being open to <laughs> other things and exper- experimenting, you know, with right, just other things within the craft, and I think you'll find that you know looking around in different crafts, the people that are sort of are open to new ideas and uh, to 
uh, an evolution within them, their selves are the people that are making the the interesting things. And I think, you know, seeing other people yeah. that I admire in the woodworking community, but also in other uh, other venues, um, is what inspired me to, like, you know, ditch the dogmatic approach and be a bit more open yeah. to, to new ideas and new ways of creating right. stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, yeah, I can't say a lot about the technical and the... Uh, the actual turning because I've only turned a handful of things, but it feels yeah. nice, uh, and it was nice building the the lathe and uh, making yeah. something that spins uh, while <laughs> just press a button. But I can't I can't give enough yeah. uh, enough info about about that side yet. Sure. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm really interested. I think I'll build one in the new year. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I mean, you have to listen to what your body's telling you eventually, right? I mean, you know, I can't imagine. I mean, I turn as a hobbyist, right? But, I mean, I turn a bowl in two, and I'm like, man, I am sore the next day. <laughs> my hands are sore. My feet are sore. So I can't imagine somebody like you who does stuff, you know, production, and, um, you know, how sore you, you get or, you know, fatigued your body can become yeah, you know, so, after a while. So I think, like, I think, you know, I, I don't do production in the sense of, you know, I don't turn dozens of stuff every day. And I, I and I, yeah, well, I, right, right. I think going back, you know, I didn't feel my body signaling it yet, but I can definitely hmm. feel it coming. So, you know, I'm, I'm in, in a sure. privileged place where I think I can already, you know, instead of reaching that point like Jared that, you know, he already felt that, yeah. that ache in his lower back or whatever. Or you're injured. Um, yeah, where yeah. where I'm, I want to open another door and see if if that option is relevant for me or not uh, before before that. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was reading on on your post on your most recent post you did about it. There was a comment that cracked me up, and it was uh, something like um, some about how you you sit down to do the lathe, and someone said like, "So now you've got a desk job, eh?" <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, but that, I, I think I replied, my mom would be happy or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, fine, finally. That's lovely. Finally, he's got a stable desk job. <laughs> See, mom, this is all you wanted me to do. <laughs> no, actually, my my, um, my mom is happy with what I do. Now she now yeah. she knows. <laughs> she, under, she understands. <laughs> That's awesome. After a few um, years, after a few years, he was like, ah. You had a plan all all that time, you know, not going to school and not going to the <laughs> army. You had a plan, like, no, yeah. you, no, but it worked out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fate would have it have it as it is. Yes. Um, when you so I remember I, so I learned Foley turning from Robin Wood. He came here and taught uh, five years ago, and he talked a lot about because he'd been turning. I think it was twenty five years. He was production yeah. bull turning on the pole lathe. And um, the question came up of like, what about your body? I mean, like that motion and saying like that. And he he spoke a little bit about how what he found is like he talked a lot about that flow state. And like you you have to get to a point where at first it's like you're straining and you're trying to hold mm. the tool and you're trying to do all these things. And your body is like you're almost like contorting your body and, and, mm. and potentially causing harm because you're straining. Mm. But once you once you understand it, you can your body can relax. And so you can. Right end up getting to a point where like when you're doing it and now he's turning bowls he never 
I don't think he really did much end grain, so it's a little different, but um, he just said that after a while he was able to learn to relax mm. so that when he was turning, it was actually like rejuvenative because he would get in this flow state and he wouldn't be tensing and he wouldn't be, mm. you know, causing any harm in, in any certain way. Um, so that, I always thought that was really fascinating to be doing it for so long. And, and I, I, I thought the same thing, like, you know, at some point you could, you could potentially caught built like a you know like a slow gradual injury to your mm. body um but but thinking about the end grain it's different because you are it's such a different position you're 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 trying to get almost you're trying to get parallel to the grain with your body in a way yeah yeah um, and that, rem- that reminded me of of a picture i'd seen there's i always forget the fellow's name i think he's an irish guy who's at, the, at one of your guys first bowl gatherings oh yeah and, uh, uh, terence Yes, uh, I would love to talk to him sometime. He's 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 the guy. He's the guy to talk yeah. with. He has so a he, lot a lot of. Yeah, he had just... a picture. Yeah, he had done some amazing research, and there was a picture of uh, I think it was a, a Asturian, mm-hmm. a Spanish bolet uh, turner. Yeah, and they had their setup so that In the an whole angle. yeah, yeah, the whole whole lathe was at like a 60, 45 degree angle. So that you didn't even have to bend over. You're just, you're looking straight into the whatever you're turning. Yeah. Nice. And I thought I was like, damn, that is so clever. I mean, can you imagine? Like, that probably took generations to figure out. Like, oh wait, we don't have to scrunch over. We could actually just <laughs> angle the whole thing, and then, um, the, you know, be looking straight into what we're. Or the other way around. Maybe they just pardon? build a really shitty lathe, and then it's like, oh, actually, that works, <laughs> <laughs> that works really that's well. That's true. Yeah. No, you think. I think that's how it probably happened at first. <laughs> then they realized that it actually works better. <laughs> then they then they met someone from the next village and they're like crunched over and their shoulders are all knotted up. <laughs> they're like, hey, just try our shitty lathe. It works great. <laughs> but um, have you ever, I was just curious if you've ever messed around with yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I did or, actually. I'd made a, a similar a similar setup uh, because, yeah, after, after chatting with Terrence and meeting him and seeing his lathe, um, and you you sort of still you still need to yeah you're still not in line with the center so you still need to sort of hunch over mm-hmm. and have a look um, yeah. because you won't see the tool even if it's an angle you're still not in the same line okay. of the of the of the hollowing of the cup if that makes sense. So yeah, you, yeah. you still need to sort right. of hunch over and have a look to your left, if you know, if you're a right hand turner and you're looking down yeah, yeah. in the cup, and like the bowl yeah, yeah. where you're sort right. of looking straight, almost straight ahead. You know, your head is a bit tilted, but you're, it's right. not like. Um, right, right. So it does it does help with a with a body positioning, um, but I tried it and it just felt so weird. I think it was so similar <laughs> but so different to my. Uh, yeah. my setup that it was just you know if you go to something that is completely different like uh, you know sitting down and using a, uh, the Japanese style lathe um, so it's you yeah. know it's close enough but you're sitting and you're using a, a tool rest that is you know movable and you can adjust exactly the position mm. that feels comfortable but if you're using the same essentially the same lathe but just chopping one side of the legs you know 40 centimeters down it just feels so awkward and i just didn't give it uh, <laughs> i didn't give it enough time it just felt you know i 
tried turning a couple of things and it just felt you know doing more harm than than uh than good really yeah yeah um so i tried it a bit and it's a really interesting approach you know solving a problem you know a specific problem and then making you know the tool or the lathe or the setup <laughs> that can solve it but it just takes uh, some you know you need to persevere and you know use that weird thing until it doesn't feel weird anymore uh and yeah i, ju- yeah. I just i just didn't didn't uh didn't pass that that step sure. uh, but terence would well, be an amazing cool, amazing cool uh, person to speak with because if he was a, a professional if he was to, you know taking this as a full-time thing he would be you know knocking amazing you know without being a full-time maker he's been making the most amazing products and things uh so mm. i can't imagine yeah, how he would look if, uh, if if he was on it full-time so yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to speak to him at some point. Yeah. The the advantage to the Japanese lathe also is you don't have the you don't have the center of the cup in the way. You just mm-hmm. turn mm-hmm. Yeah. without that you know, yeah. Yeah. in the way. So you are you're more free, especially for a cup. I mean, it definitely seems like it'd be that'd be a big pro to using that style lathe yeah. cups. Absolutely. Definitely. That's what I felt like. I felt like I'm pushing the, the limits to how fine I can make a cup on a polyeth, you know, considering there's a, there's a, a core and I'm spinning, yeah. you know, as fast as my leg can go and my positioning is, right. you, know, mm-hmm. you know, all putting all these things together, it just felt like, you know, I, I can still improve on the polyeth and make better cups, I'm sure, but it just feels like everything would be really... Yeah, like it'll be tiny, tiny things and tiny steps that improve over uh, a long time rather than any any significant uh, jump, which is okay. Uh, it just felt like the right time to like try, you know, turning a cup on the Japanese style eighth and see what suddenly opens up because I don't have a center or because my position is better uh, or because it's spinning yeah. faster. Um, so yeah, I think that's another right, right. you know Certainly. coming back to to your previous question, sort of another reason why why I decided to to have a go on that. Uh, awesome. well, I'm excited to see. What was that? Yeah, sorry, just uh, the reason why I was building one, just the finishing of the sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see how that uh, pans out as you start to work with it more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, I think it's an interesting conversation with, you know, like what's what's the means and what's the ends and how much does the means uh, make a difference or, you know. Because um, I, I, I always think about this like um, – in my mind sometimes just think like you know when i make a bowl does someone buy a bowl i make because i made it on a bowl lathe or do they buy it because they like the bowl and they like you know maybe there's an aspect of it like they like the texture or the finish that comes from the bowl lathe mm-hmm. whether they know it, it did or not um or is it like the story that i made on a bowl lathe that's what sells them you know it's an interesting thing yeah to, i mean to it's question the more, I... Right. Yeah, I think it's the most interesting, you know, it's something that is such a relevant topic to any small business, you know, any small maker, you know, that is the main 
thing that you know holds you from making a living or not i think it's it's a huge part mm, i think yeah. of being able to sell something and knowing what to make um you know yeah. you, you there's loads of people that make beautiful stuff but you know don't necessarily sell it and there's the opposite as well and i think it all come yeah. you know it comes down to yeah the story you tell yourself and then the story that you are projecting <laughs> to the outside and then how other people read your story and if they can yeah, connect mm-hmm. to it yes. and if they think it's a good one or not and yeah it's it's it's, fasc- <laughs> it's fascinating really uh but i don't think yeah. there's one one answer i don't think you know everybody likes a polite finish and everybody won't buy a electric right. turned one because you know it's all so individual yep. and I think we need to find our own uh, sort of integrity and truth with you know what we make, and then hope that you know it'll fit mm. somebody's idea uh, of what he wants to buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. But, yeah, Absolutely. so I, 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 mean, I think I Instagram think, helps. We can do a whole conversation literally just on on that topic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Maybe we will one day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, it's been awesome chatting with you, and I, I've i got to get going because I've got to go do some chores before it gets too dark here. Um, I know we could keep going and going. I got, I've got i got lots of questions I could think of. I'm sure Mike does too, but um, right. I appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us. I appreciate you um, being flexible with the, <laughs> the time mix-up on my end. Uh, that was funny. Yeah, it was, it was uh, a, a little bit play. embarrassing. No, it's a it's a pleasure, and in you know I think coming back to the beginning, it's like we I'm I'm rich in time, and uh, you know we we choose what we spend this time doing. So I, I'm really grateful for you you guys, uh, yeah, spending your time chatting for two hours about these things, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed hearing your <laughs> your previous episodes and just your just really relaxed sounds like something that you know I would enjoy, and that's why you know we we came to do it. I think both of us yeah yeah both sides for sure yeah i I appreciate because you reached out initially so that was Mm -hmm. you were on our list we have a very long list like (laughs) it's a fun little juggle to figure like all right who do we want to talk to next so it's been been fun yeah um Mm -hmm. so we have our our last question we like to ask all of our guests and that is what does sloyd mean to you Ooh, so yeah i think you know, I think we can go back to the, or I can go back to the beginning of of our conversation. And I think it comes from, Sloyd for me is like creating something that is um, maybe uh, useful and sustains, you know, my way of life. So I think each one, mm-hmm. you know, it's a... Uh, lost the chain of of thought uh <laughs> I, I think it's yeah maybe something that comes from a necessity uh and a daily mm. a mm. daily need so you know it could be building a yurt and could be you know, knitting a, a, a jumper it can be fixing a, a sock uh, and i think all these things uh come together and for me it was really like yeah creating a shelter and then filling it up with useful things in my kitchen mm-hmm. and and taking it from there and i think that still you know maybe back then i didn't know it's called 
Sloyd or what is Sloyd, but I think for me, that sort of represents, that word represents that sort of a daily necessity hmm. making. Awesome. I love it. Sweet, yeah. man. Well, um, yeah, like I said, really great to chat with you. And, and um, you. I think with all, I think with all of our guests at some point, we'd like to, you know, get back, uh, on with you and in, in the future and speak about whatever else is coming up for you. And, yeah. you know, maybe learn a little bit more about the Japanese lathe in the future and whatever else ends up. Maybe uh, in, turn a, up for you. in a but, couple um, of years, maybe I'll be a, a really precise timber framer. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Ben Law. Yeah. <laughs> More like, yeah. you know, awesome. there's, uh, just I'll put a name out there for, for you guys, maybe. And if any listeners, there's yeah. a guy I follow. His name is Dylan uh, Iwakoni, I think, if I pronounce it right. Huh. Just a Japanese. Oh, yeah, uh, the, yeah. the Japanese fellow. Yes. Carpenter. Yes. He's and incredible. He's His just stuff is... making. That's what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> When, yeah, uh, that's mind blowing. It's like yeah, have the patience to sit right. and uh, just nice sharp chisels make really lovely joints. Yeah, maybe <laughs> next time we speak, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be that'll be your forte. There you go. Awesome. Right. All right, man. Thanks, well, guys. you take care and uh, yeah, yeah, it was lovely chatting with you. Yeah, and you. We'll talk to you soon. See you. Yep. Good night. See ya. All right. What a chat. Yeah. That was awesome. It was. A little uh, technical error there in the middle, but we got that sorted out. Um, yeah, let's see a little shopkeeping. Um, we're just chugging along. This is the second episode that's coming out this month in December because November uh, ended up slipping away from us. Um, Mike getting ready to become a father, which happened about a week ago. So mm-hmm. congrats to Mike on his baby girl. Thanks, man. And what else? Um, yeah, we're just chugging along. Um, I'm going to try and get the website up probably in early January. And uh, a couple of things, you know, obviously, like if you're enjoying this, please share it. Spread the word. Um, we've had really just crazy uh, response. So many different listeners and people really excited about the whole thing. Um, I also want to put out there, too, if you have any, if there's anyone you'd like to hear us interview definitely shoot us a message or email um, because we're just trying to kind of figure out who to talk to next. And it's always nice to know what, who people want to listen to. And yeah, I think that's it for now. Yeah. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you on next month's interview. Later. See ya.